Good morning, church. Every time I come up here, I know you're louder than this. Good morning, church. That's better. Um, If it's your first time in this place today, I just want to say you are so welcome in Jubilee Church. My name's Luke, and I'm excited about today. I'm excited about baptisms. Anyone else excited? It's good, isn't it? Um, It excites me because I remember my own baptism. And I remember it being a time that marked something that had already happened to me. And that people who were mothers and fathers of the faith came and used gifts of the Spirit, like words of knowledge and, and scriptures and songs, and they came and spoke into my life. And some of those words that they spoke into my life weren't very nice. Yeah, they, they hurt me. Um, I had a word that was, um, I was like a rock out at sea being smashed by the waves, and over many years I'd become a smooth pebble that washed up onto the beach. I'm still not a smooth pebble, so I guess that work is still going on in me. It sounded painful. But before we get to the drowning, I mean dunking or baptism, (laughs) I want us to explore some profound truth revealed to us in Isaiah 59. In order to do this, we need to understand the context Isaiah was writing and speaking into. You see, just like today, Isaiah was speaking into a society which grappled with both moral and spiritual decline. You don't need to look very far to see it, do you? You just go out into our world and you see there are wars happening in different parts of the world. Um, We're seeing an increase in, in poverty that's, that's getting more prevalent, isn't it? And um, things are getting more expensive. And we see a world that's far, far from, from kind of God's way and the world that God designed and wanted it to be. A prison system today that's at bursting full of people who need the gospel. Hmm. All the while, are we looking to the church and God for the answer... Or are we looking to ourselves to create a life that we consider merely bearable? Or are you looking for more? If that's you, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm looking for more. Right. Okay, church. This is only going to work today if you get involved. Turn to your neighbor and say to them, I'm looking for more. Thank you. This is going to be about participation. You see, Isaiah 59 is a pivotal juncture in the prophetic book of Isaiah. It speaks directly to the heart of the human condition. It talks about God's unwavering commitment to redemption today. And as we journey through the passage, I pray that your hearts will be wide open to the transformative power of God's promises. Is your heart wide open this morning? Yeah, turn to your neighbor and say, my heart's wide open. Brilliant. You see, the book of Isaiah serves as arousing for humanity. I pray that it rouses something in you today. It's a book of both judgment and hope. 
Hebrews 6.19 says, hope is an anchor for the soul. And you have to understand that an anchor's purpose is not merely to stop a ship from drifting to where it shouldn't be, but it's to steer a ship in severe weather conditions. It's to create drag to stop a ship going too fast into the wrong area. Isaiah should cause us to reflect upon our position with God or without and realize that the consequence for going it alone is ultimately sin and death. For those who struggle with the sharp end of the stick today, I just want to take some time now to make absolutely no apologies to you. You see, there's an urgency that burns in me to tell you the truth in order that you might run from evil and be redeemed to God who is calling you. Turn to someone today and say, He is calling you. In the lead up to Isaiah 59, the preceding chapters depict a nation that's entangled in social injustice, idolatry, and a hollow worship devoid of any authenticity. A world that's not too dissimilar from the world we live in today. Then Isaiah emerges, this messenger to humanity, warning of the impending repercussions of their actions, yet interweaving glimpses of God's redemptive plan. It's my desire today to demonstrate that that plan has not changed. Turn to your neighbor. Tell them, the plan's not changed. You're going to get to know someone in church today, and you'll know whether they brush their teeth well or not. <laughs> the problem is, as much as the plan's not changed, neither's the human condition. Isaiah 59 explores the profound reality of human sin and its consequences. It paints a vivid picture of a society marred by dishonesty, violence, and spiritual apathy. Isaiah boldly declares that human efforts alone cannot bridge the gap between humanity and God. It's a stark acknowledgement of our inability to save ourselves. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin are death. Sin is the things we think and say and do that are contrary to God and therefore have separated us from God. Repeat after me. The wages of my sin are death. Yet amid this darkness, Isaiah 59.15 introduces a beacon of hope. Hope that is an anchor for your soul. It's come up on the screen, I think. It says this. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. His own righteousness sustained him.
And it's here that we see the unwavering faithfulness of God. God's commitment to redemption and salvation is portrayed as a divine redeemer, ready to intervene on behalf of his people. That's you and me. I'm so grateful that Jesus came to intervene for me. 20 years ago, God changed me, and I stayed changed. From a five and a half stone crack addict, absolutely hopeless and destitute, with no plan that was perceivable in my life, yet God came and changed me 20 years ago, and I've stayed changed. And the same God that's changed me wants to change you too. Will you let him? John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. (laughs) From the young to the old in this room, if you're seated in the sound of my voice, that means you. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a whosoever. Ah, oh, you're getting good at this church. Yeah? Isaiah 59, 17 to 20 illuminates the imagery of God. Putting on armor and garments of vengeance that underscored the urgency and intensity of his commitment. Saying, he put on righteousness as his breastplate. And the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garment of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so will he repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord. And from the rising sun, they will revere his glory. For he, that's Jesus will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. You see, Jesus came like a pent-up flood, like water that had been dammed and the dam had burst and he came flowing out and flowing down on humanity in a rescue mission to redeem souls to himself. You see, our sin had separated us from God. Our sin had separated from life. The penalty for it was death. God loved us though. He so loved the world. It was his will that none would perish, but all would receive eternal life. So he came in all of his glory, in all of his grace. He came for you and he came for me. It says the Redeemer will come to Zion and those who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. Repent means this, I'm walking this way, I turn 180 degrees, and I'm strolling the way I ought to go. Yeah? I turned from my sin, I started walking into life, that God type of life. Sin's the wrong stuff we do. It drives a wedge between us and God. Turn to someone near you and say, I need to repent. I'm funny, aren't I? (laughs) 
Isaiah has unveiled God as a righteous warrior, an active participant in the redemption process. He once sat on a throne with puppet strings. He came here and got involved in our mess. And it cost him everything. That's the God I serve. He's not distant from me. I have a relationship with him. And you're going to hear later on four people tell you about the relationship that they're just starting with him and you can have that relationship too. God's commitment goes beyond observation. It's likened to a covenant, a promise of deliverance extending to future generations. Verse 21 says this, As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit, who is on you, will not depart from you, and my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips. And on the lips of your children, and on the lips of their descendants too. From this time on, and forever, says the Lord. What's a covenant, Luke? A covenant is a solemn agreement, a pact between two or more parties, often with moral or legal implications. It goes beyond a simple contract, as it typically involves commitment, trust, and a sense of mutual understanding. The term covenant embodies a deep binding connection, emphasizing the significance of honor, fidelity, and the integrity of the commitments made within the agreed-upon terms. And God made a new covenant with humanity. Isaiah shows that the covenantal thread resonates with earlier biblical covenants, showcasing God's enduring commitment to his promises from Abraham, Moses, and David to you and me today. His promise is everlasting. Repeat after me. My God is a God of covenant. Isaiah 59, intricately connected to the broader theme of God's covenant, challenges us to respond actively. Just like he wasn't an observer, he became a participator in the redemption process. We can't be an observer, sit back and watch him save us, there's an action that we need to do. Repentance and faith are not mere theological concepts, but transformative responses to the brokenness exposed in the earlier verses, where Isaiah vividly depicts God's readiness to intervene and restore, saying this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. That statement dismantles any notion of limitation of God, on God's saving power. There's no limit. His hand, he reached down and saved. It says, his arm's not short. His ear's not deaf. His eye's not blind. (laughs) 
The awareness of the lack of righteous intercessors prompts God's active involvement. I'm going to repeat that. The awareness of the lack of righteous intercessors prompts God's active involvement. In other words, we weren't doing our part, so God had to come in and do it for us. The imagery of God's own arm achieving salvation emphasizes his personal and direct engagement. We're called to embody forgiveness, integrity, love in relationships, maintaining diligence in our work, and fostering unity, justice, and compassion in our communities. As we reflect on these truths, let us hold fast to the assurance found in God's promises. See, Isaiah 59 assures us that God's justice will prevail. His redemption will unfold. And his covenantal commitment to salvation remains unwavering towards you and me today. His consistency echoes throughout biblical history. Reinforcing the enduring nature of God's faithfulness. His promise is for you. God's promise is his covenant. And Isaiah 59.21 shows that it will be woven through generations and will stand for all eternity. He's calling you into his promise today. Turn to your neighbour and say, his promise is for me. Turn to your other neighbour and say it like you mean it. Yeah. You see, his promise is woven into the fabric of his very name. Jehovah Nisi means the God who reigns in victory, the Lord our victory banner, and he seats, he's seated in victory, having won every battle for your life. His name, Jehovah Jireh, means that he'll provide a way for you. He'll provide for every need, whether that's your health or your finances, whether it's your family or your work, whether it's your commitments or your lack of them. God is your provider. Jehovah Rapha, he's the God who will heal your body and your mind. He's a healer. Jehovah Shiloh, the Lord of peace, and his peace transcends all understanding, and it's yours if you want it today. In conclusion, as the band just come forward, why don't you stand with me? Romans chapter 10, verse 13 to 15 says this. For whosoever, remember that's us. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher?
Well, today you heard. Are you convinced? Does your heart perceive? Will you now believe? If so, I'm going to invite you in a moment to call upon the name of the Lord. You might be hearing this today for the first time and you've decided, do you know what, Luke? That's me. You might want to enter into God's promise of salvation for your life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do just that. Or you might be hearing you've been drifting a bit in your journey with God. Dicing with a bit of sin and unrepentance. You might want to recommit to him today. So everyone in the room, everyone in the room has done that already. If you're in right standing with God today and you search your heart, I'm not here to tell you that. That's between you and God. Just be interceding for those who are about to make this decision. You see, I want everyone, if you can close your eyes and bow your heads, just to offer a bit of privacy to everyone else. No peeking. If it's you today, I want you to say this prayer aloud. If everyone can say it aloud, and I urge you to mean it from the depth of your heart. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you that you have a plan and purpose for my life. I'm sorry for ignoring you and going my own way. I realize now my sin has hurt you. And I am truly sorry for this. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life for me and took the punishment for my sin. Please forgive me and help me now by the power of your Holy Spirit as I decide to live for you only. Amen.